station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, movie Cop on Vacation, (laughs) (laughs) Melissa Kersher. Hi. And uh, we are joined by a movie novice. This time, we are going to call him our movie Christmas party goer, Uh, (laughs) Elliot James. Hello, Elliot. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, thanks here, for being you, here. You don't even give him uh, Beat Cop, who is uh, who just stopped for a snack. Twinkie Cop? <laughs> Twinkie I Cop. Called, I could have called him the Twinkie Cop, but you I didn't. could have called him Twinkie Cop. I, sh- I should have, and it's too late. Ah. It's too okay. late that, that we have crossed it. So, uh, as you This is may what o- editing's for, Tim. I don't do that. God damn it. No, none of that. All right. The, uh, so the, the movie that we are here to watch, as you probably did not surmise from what I was going to say, but may have surmised from the title of the episode, is Die Hard. And Elliot has never seen Die Hard. Nope. Uh, awesome. <laughs> so this is great. I'm excited about this. But we do need to find out, Elliot, what do you know about Die Hard? Well, as far as I could gather, it's another one of these Rambo-esque uh, super soldier mo- action movies. He says with some derision. With, yeah, some yeah. derision. Some <laughs> derision. All right. That's a, a Rambo-esque super soldier kind of movie. Um, all right. So. <laughs> this will I'm be not, very interesting. I'm not going to deny your assertion. Well, I think. Uh, nor am I going to acknowledge it as completely accurate. Yeah, it is it is it is a fair assertion given this is an action movie from the 1980s. Yeah, it and is. I was living in rural England, um, half an hour's drive from a cinema, and I mm-hmm. just wasn't a genre I particularly picked up on. Oh, as as you totally may gather fair. from Elliot's accent, he is not from these parts. No. <laughs> not originally. Not originally. Anyway. Not originally. Uh, actually, technically, at that stage, I was living in the county of Midsummer. if you seen Midsummer Murders, because oh. they filmed an episode down the hill from me. Oh, cool. And cool. so that's why you didn't see Die Hard. And that's why I didn't see <laughs> Die Hard. There's probably enough killing in the county. Oh, that's, the, you know, that, and that is a fair, fair thing to say. Yeah. So, uh, Die Hard, we, it's a little after Christmas. We didn't do a Christmas movie this year. Be, because um, we only found out that Elliot had not seen Die Hard after Christmas. Yeah, it was like Otherwise, the day. Yeah, it was the like the day after, after Christmas. or something like that. Like, oh shit. my God, we need to fix this right yeah, now. Yeah, so we were great. We've got somebody to watch. Uh, and and the, the, what's fascinating, we'll have to delve into this afterwards. And Elliot, you're going to have to think about this yourself. There is a enormous geek debate on the internet as to whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So we'll we'll probably go into that after oh, yeah. the film because you do have to kind of form that opinion for yourself, whether or not this qualifies as a Christmas movie. And I have opinions about this, yes. <laughs> it, uh, it stars, of course, Bruce Willis. I don't mm-hmm. feel that that's a spoiler. You probably knew that already. Yes. Or, yeah, so uh, it stars Bruce Willis, and uh, it is... You know the the interest we we linked to this sort of from Pulp Fiction, also starring or featuring mm-hmm. probably is a more appropriate way of saying Bruce Willis. And it's also part of our crime wave. It al- is also part of our crime wave, which is just about over. Yeah, it's just about yeah. over. But we we needed to include this one because it's a different kind of crime. Yes, and it's a different kind of wave. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. okay. 
Okay. Okay, Tim. You know, I feel feel what I just said was appropriate, and I'm not going to fight you on it, or you're not going to fight me. But anyway, so... I will fight you with knives, Tim. (laughs) I'll fight you with (laughs) AK-47s. That never run out of bullets. <laughs> yeah, the action, the action movie, in a nutshell, AK forty sevens that never run out of bullets. It's true. I think maybe they're Uzis, but anyway, the point is, yeah. we're gonna go watch Die Hard. Uh, hopefully, Elliot will enjoy it. But if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. Melissa and I are gonna have a ball, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we will join you back here in just a few moments. back. Many bearer bonds have been almost stolen. Many explosions have exploded and uh, the terrorists slash uh, thieves have been thwarted as we have watched Die Hard. So first thing we need to do, Elliot, this is your first time watching Die Hard, correct? It is. It is. So tell us what you thought of the movie. Overall, I enjoyed it. Overall, yeah, you enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. Yeah, there was there was bits I would have changed because <laughs> I'm a bastard. <laughs> I believe there was a point where you would have killed John McClane. Oh, yes. Uh, Death by irony. You know, (laughs) I'm sorry. You know, it wouldn't have been dropping the bridge on him. It would have been... An ironic death, and you know, when he, when I, he's, we're referring to the point where he uh, he ties the fire hose to himself and leaps off the, the building, building. Mm-hmm. and then nearly gets pulled out of uh, uh, downward by the by the weight of the the hose, and it's and, and it's real as yeah. it, it is, as it falls. Yes, yes. Yeah, Elliot was very incensed about that. Part. He, he felt John McClane should have died at that point, and we would have just I. Bose switched our point of view to Holly Gennaro. Yeah, yeah and and I had already pointed out that as soon as you saw the cute kid pictures, you knew that she had character in vulnerability. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Truth. Because she did. She had adorable yeah. children. And it was the eighties. Um, yeah. And it's not a it's not a horror it's not a slasher film. So. Right. I I mean there there is a, it's hard looking. Back on this film, especially if this is your first time seeing yeah. it, but you know, like in 1988, there were some speaking to breaking some tropes that were pretty heavily in movies at the time. So, I mean, if if we think back that long ago, you've got some pretty potent themes going on with you know Holly going her own way, and you know she's mm. moving up in the corporation, and you know John is the stick in yeah. the mud, and so she's gone forth without him, and so you know that was. Kind of a new thing for that this sort of movie. Absolutely, and... it's it's a creature of its time. It's thirty years old now. Oh, absolutely. One of the things I would normally have done before watching a movie, if like this, would have been to have actually gone to TV tropes, and I deliberately didn't because I <laughs> wanted to go in with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's fair. And one of the things about Die Hard is it is in itself a trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, since Die Hard... It has become one. It yes. has become one. Since Die Hard came out, there's a whole slew of films that are basically referred to as Die Hard Anna. 
So like, Passenger 57 is Die Hard on a Plane. Uh, uh, any, any, any of these films where you've got the, the one man with some amount of skills facing off against a veritable army of skilled bad guys and basically defeating them himself is the Die Hard trope. Now, yeah. would that include films like, uh, was it the, the Steven Seagal, The Siege? Or? Any oh, Steven yeah. Seagal film. Is oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme has yeah. his own share of them. And okay. There, yeah, there, there, there are, there are yeah, actors whose entire... the late 80s and 90s. Yeah. There was a ton of them. Because actors whose movie... entire careers were made on diehard-style films. Yeah. So this was, in many ways, a, f- a feature of the late 80s, early 90s that... that created a slew of imitators. Sure. Absolutely. It did. In in itself, it created the imitators. You know, there were there were similar styles of films, you know, that you're you're not wrong in identifying the Rambo uh, genre as as having a lot of DNA in, in common with with Die Hard. So what what this is instead of Rambo, which is kind of the same story in the jungle, one man against an army, but this is sort of a locked room kind yes. of yeah. kind and, of trope. And I mean, this isn't the first time it was done. I mean, uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen is very much the same thing, but it's but that was multiple people. That was multiple well, people, yeah. but not many. And yeah. and you have an invading force trying to come into a building, and, and, and they're that is. Forward. Really, just to make a remake of oh, I don't know, Fort Apache. Right. Yes, it is re- it, it a remake is. of Fort it Apache, is. the Bronx. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, so I mean, there's precedent. But, there's there's but, precedent, but they 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 did package it in a new way. Die yes. Hard was definitely new packaging for this kind of film. And and another thing to remember is um, there there is a lot of undercutting going on that we just don't see these today, just because um, at this point. Bruce Willis was just the guy in Moonlighting. He was known as a comedian, and that was all. He was not a movie star. He was until not a movie Die star, and this was essentially his first movie role, really. His first is yeah. I mean, the first his movie first role anybody role. really noticed or, or yeah. breakout role. Yeah. yeah, it was his breakout role. I mean, he was a huge star just because of Moonlighting, but he was a TV star, and. That's and not the, the guy you look at and you go, "Let's make him an action hero." <laughs> and the th- the other thing is in the late eighties. TV stars that tried to break into film mostly failed. Yeah, mm. TV was a gutter, <laughs> basically. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, th- he got cast in Die Hard, and it's, I mean, it's almost akin to, like, putting Richard Dreyfus into an action role and, you know, <laughs> when he was about this age. I, it was, he was not expected to be a an action star. Although... But, but he kind of fits that trope just because, you know, Bruce Willis was raised in Jersey and he's got that accent and the wisecracking and And he and bulked up pretty good. And he yeah. bulked up... He bulked up well, but yeah. And he then goes on. Pulp Fiction was probably oh, yeah. the first one I remember him in. And mm-hmm. then... We just did Pulp Fiction. Which, on. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is, I think, where me being on here came from. It did. Yeah. Because yeah. you were like, well, I have, I've seen Pulp Fiction, but I haven't seen Die Hard. I don't know how it happened, but yeah. Yeah. it was so, essentially that. And, and we went, you've never seen Die Hard? <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he, uh, yeah, at this point, Bruce Willis in an action movie, we were all going, what? And it worked. 
And the and also, you know, Alan Rickman, nobody knew who Alan Rickman was at this point. This was his first film. Because film this role. is before uh, Prince of Thieves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alan Rickman was a stage actor before this. Yeah. And, uh, and after he was British. That's the way it works. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because acting for Hollywood is what you do to make some money. Acting on the stage is mm-hmm. what you do. Because that's acting. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we've had this conversation about, <laughs> about about British actors versus American actors before. And yes, yeah. absolutely the same. Uh, by the way, uh, Bruce Willis's major film prior to Die Hard, and it was kind of a... It was, I've seen it. It's eh. was Blind Date. Oh, Jesus. So he did Blind yeah. Date in 87, then Die Hard is 1988. And, and then, then he did the Look Who's Talking movies, which were inexplicably... Money makers, yeah, uh, and then there's and then he's in all sorts of movies, yeah. just just constantly in film. Yeah, his start from just then on exploded, and and Pulp Fiction. So you know he's in he's he's got some real stinkers, um, <laughs> yeah, in there as well. But then then you reach Pulp Fiction, and and basically you never look no. back for Bruce Willis. Well, you know there was a period where he got a big exploded. Uh, had uh, like I, I can control my own material. I can do anything, and that's about when he did Hudson Hawk, which <laughs> explains a lot about Hudson Hawk. And then, <laughs> and then he got busted down a few rungs, and then he started making good stuff again, like Unbreakable, like Unbreakable, like Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. I, I just there, there's a lot of great films in his filmography. There are some bad ones, yeah, but uh, in fact, many many of them include the words Die Hard in it, yeah, in because they keep making Die Hard movies, and they, they mostly make money. stink. Um, But uh, Die Hard itself does not. Uh, And, uh, you know, there are certainly some reasons for that. Alan Rickman is great. He he creates and I mean, there's another trope that's kind of created here, which is the sort of wacky, semi crazy um, mastermind kind of character that they basically go on and ask him to play again in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves Mm -hmm. uh, because he did it so well. And in the Die Hard in a blank genre, it's like they all, they're always trying to find that character actor to play the over the top crazy villain character. But he also right. plays the only sane man amongst the terrorists. Oh, that's Well, true. yeah, he knows what the fuck he's doing. Him and, him and the, the, the tech dude. Yeah. Seem to basically have every, have all the brains in the entire, for the entire unit. Yeah, everybody else is hired to be a thug, <laughs> which I, I believe was also kind of the casting notes, because for for being German thieves, very few of them were actually German. Bruce Willis is more German, and I'm literally saying that because he was born in West Germany. So he's more German than Alan Rickman. He's more for German sure. than Alan Rickman. And I, I was I'm trying I'm gonna get his name wrong. Gudnov. Alexander Gudnov. And that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Alexander he, Gudnov. He's Russian. He's Russian. He yeah. played Carl. Oh, he's got quite the story. Which is too. a super Russian name. Yeah, let's let's tell the story of Alexander Gudnov. Yeah, Alexander. We've got Gudnov. a good tragic death, and that's a that's a theme oh, we've got or a, a trope from Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. and a trope from our podcast. So uh, yeah, a podcast <laughs> trope. Yeah. So uh, Alexander Gudnov, he was born in the USSR in uh, some podunk little town somewhere far from civilization and uh, he started studying dance at age nine and one of his classmates was Mikhail Bubershnikov from very the, early on also a dancer also a, a very dancer famous dancer very yeah. well both of them were uh, they both wound up in Bolshoi um, 
Alexander Goodenough wound up in the Bolshoi in 1971. He played lead in Swan Lake, uh, got very good reviews, eventually toured the U.S. and got very good reviews here. And then the uh, the Soviets marked him as a, uh, a high potential for defection. And so he wasn't allowed to tour for a long time. Eventually, in 1979, he and his wife, who was a ballerina, uh, I believe she was also in the Bolshoi, they uh, did defect to the U.S., and uh, the KGB put the wife back on a plane back to Russia about three or four days later. Um, so she she went back, he did not, and they eventually divorced in, like, 1982. But So uh, they were right to put him on the high defection risk. Yeah, because he <laughs> it was did. A, it was a good call. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by that point, uh, Burishnikov had already uh, yes. defected as well. So, uh, so boom, he didn't get to be a ballet dancer because Burishnikov was better or whatever. Well, no, he he was he did join I the know, American Ballet did. Theater, um, which Burishnikov yes. was the director of. But Burishnikov, everybody talked about Burishnikov. Well, he, well, because no. he was awesome. I'm yeah, just, I'm just trying to create a tragic backstory. Just help no. me out here. Don't, don't, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. So Burishnikov was director there, but uh, Goodenough left in 1982 because they had a falling out. And in about 1985, that's when Goodenough um, started doing film roles. He uh, debuted in a movie called Witness, which is actually very good. I feel it's like it's an excellent movie. I feel like most people don't remember Witness these days. We got to put that on our list. Yeah, we it's really, a really should. Good, and Goodenough in that movie, it's like. He's riveting. You can tell he's a good actor. You, you you have to know he's a good actor because in that movie, he's playing an Amish dude, yeah. not a terrorist who will kill everyone. Yeah, because ever since he did Die Hard, he was always a terrorist. But yeah, but, but it just... <laughs> because he did it well. <laughs> that, that movie, you can see his range yeah. watching him in something else. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's very good in Witness. And then uh, in 1987, he officially became a U.S. citizen. And, you know, he had kind of on and off film career. He never really did go back to uh, ballet very strongly after uh, essentially leaving, well, getting kicked out of uh, Baryshnikov's company. So he was an actor. And then mysteriously in 1995, at age 45, he just died in his house. Like just apparently of natural causes. Nobody really figured out why, but he was just plain dead. Uh, he was missing for several days, and uh, friends called the cops to give him a checkup. And sure enough, he was—he'd been dead for a few days in in his mm. house. So tragic death. Yeah. And uh, his ashes were scattered in the Pacific, and his family did not attend the funeral. They—they're apparently all still in Latvia. Douchebags. Oh no, they were still. It was still. Yeah, it was still. Well, it was in the no ninety-five. That's yeah, after 95, the. Yeah, ninety-five. It was after. The and they're fell. they're then one of the Baltic states. Mm -hmm. So. So yes. we don't know why they didn't go. We just know they didn't. Maybe they were bitter. He didn't call to tell them he was sick, perhaps. <laughs> I, I don't know if he was sick at all. We don't know if he was sick. He could have, it could have been just a heart attack, one of those things. Yeah, it was just one of those things. At age 45, which is sad. That is sad. Uh, so that, that's a good story about him. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Um, there is a what, – what is the, the actor – and I always forget his name. There's the Asian actor from the 80s who's in like every Ellie action Young? film. Yeah. Yeah, Ellie Young's a, like a – professional martial artist like uh, com competition level and he uh, does he, zero martial arts in this film no he he never does but he showed it <laughs> he was he was that actor that shows up in like every single film in the 1980s yeah that involves guns and he just dies yeah that's his function yeah yeah he's very he actually normal. lasts until the last 10 minutes of this movie yeah 
He doesn't he doesn't go down until really close to the in, end. In terms of 1980s American movies, this is really progressive in terms of race relations. It is. <laughs> you have multiple black characters. Most of uh, whom survive. The one of them's one, even like the computer hacker. The only one who doesn't survive is the FBI guy. Yeah. Yeah. Agent and, Johnson, the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got got the, uh, uh, the Japanese corporate mogul who like just has no real accent, no, no tropes about him. Uh, he's just another character. Uh, you've got, you know, like I said, in terms of eighties, this is fairly progressive. It's not bad. It's, it's not as white as you might expect an eighties film to be. Right. And it doesn't have some of that uh, Michael Crichton fear of the Japanese yeah. no. uh, in yeah. it. No, instead I mean, what it has... joke about it. But. In, instead what it has... And <clears throat> it has I was, self-awareness about it. I, I was watching this film, and I enjoy this film very much. Uh, but I do, I watch this film and I go, this film is like a libertarian dream. <laughs> because because the, the press is the enemy... <laughs> oh, you are right. Oh, yes. Oh. The, the, the federal government is incompetent and basically making it more difficult to accomplish what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. The, the working stiffs, the guys who actually do the work, are the ones that know what's going on and nobody's listening to them. You've got the authority fig- figure in Dwayne. <laughs> this is this is why we turn against Holdo in yes. Last Jedi. <laughs> and he comes in and he's just an incompetent idiot who doesn't know what he's talking about and who just makes things worse with every decision he makes. And I, I'm just like, I watch this movie and I go, uh, libertarians must love this movie. <laughs> must, they must they must love it. And I, I don't want to, I'm not saying anything particularly derogatory about libertarians. I have, you know, like five libertarian friends and they don't talk. <laughs> you have black friends. Libertarian friends. Yeah. Libertarian they don't. Friends. They don't. They don't talk to me because if you know anything about libertarians, they don't. They don't talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> what the hell, <laughs> Tim? You reel it back, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, they know who I'm talking to. No, oh my um, God. <laughs> the. Uh, but uh, I, I, I really do think that there's a lot in here that oh, yeah, that yeah, fits yeah. sort of the libertarian model of, of, of politics. And, and well, yippee John, yay, motherfucker. Yeah, John McClane yeah. is, that, is that hero with a gun who's just in there solving the problem that the government can't. Yeah. And even his name, it is remarkably close to a certain maverick who ran for president. Yeah, but that, that was... By accident. Yeah. By accident, but yeah. still, nonetheless, you are correct. Yeah. Um, so, so the thing that we have to get to, the yes. thing we have to talk about, the elephant in the room, as it were, is this film's status as a Christmas movie. So there are those who insist very strongly that this is a Christmas film, and there are those who insist equally strongly that it does not qualify. So my question is, what do you think? I think, I think Elliot should have the first crack at this. All right. Uh, it is a movie set at Christmas, mm. Mm, mm, mm. which can qualify it as a Christmas movie. Personally, a Christmas movie to me is more along the the, um, the one they always play at Christmas, you'll shoot your eye out. Uh, oh, Christmas story. Christmas story or yeah. oh, that thing with... 
Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Which is technically... A Thanksgiving a movie. A Thanksgiving movie. A th- yeah. Oh, okay. But they always seem to... <laughs> I know. It, it, it's always... Christmas. Well, it's set at Christmas. It's set so. at Christmas, it's but it was made Christmas, but it was made for Thanksgiving because it was about giving thanks for what you have. Mm-hmm. And it, that it is... So, all right. So... I'm... I'm... Not convinced. You're not convinced. Okay. All right. Well, here, here's a few. But things. I am, I am open to persuasion you, if you feel strongly on it. Well, I feel, I feel the the argument is made with now. I have a machine gun. Ho, 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 ho. and and there, therefore, it is a Christmas movie. There are there are a few reasons that I that I will make this argument. Number one, it is frequently cited that this film uh, was released in July and therefore cannot qualify as a Christmas movie. That was a studio decision. It was supposed to have been released. At mm-hmm. Christmas, but the studio decided to put it, push it back, and make it a summer release because they felt that they could make more money—a decision that was probably one hundred percent correct. So, mm-hmm. saying it was released anyway. in, saying it was well, no, I'm mean, just for this movie, mm-hmm. it was probably correct. Well, I, I, well, also uh, the time around Christmas was not the time to release blockbusters back right. then. Right, it, it was a dead zone in terms of. So it was what January and February, early March are for us. Right. So they were like, this is a hundred million dollar movie. We don't want to release it over Christmas. We want to release it in the summer. Right. Uh, There's also the fact that the screenwriter, when asked whether or not he wrote it to be a Christmas movie, said yes. So the person who wrote the film Mm -hmm. does believe it is a it is supposed to be a Christmas movie. There is also the fact that they regularly use Jingle Bells as part of the soundtrack. (laughs) And I feel any soundtrack that that uses that many jingle bells is a Christmas movie. Oh yeah, just just by definition. <laughs> um, so there's there's my argument in Excellent. favor of it being a Christmas movie. And yours? Now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! It's right also, there. Also, also, there's way too much ode to joy for any other time of year. Except <laughs> Ode to Joy is actually the official anthem of the European Union. Well, yeah, but... But know, it wasn't over, then. It wasn't yes, there. it was. And this is Not, American, goddammit. In, in 1988? <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's been the uh, the anthem of the European Union since about the 1960s. All right. I did not know that. I You would know more about yeah. the European Union than I. As anybody listening can tell by your accent. Yes. Also, there is a, a theme of redemption... Yeah. In the movie. Yes. So I figure. Yeah, because you've got the whole reconciliation of John and John and Holly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and also, you know, he comes around, he says, I'm I'm wrong. I uh, please tell her I, I love I'm her. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, which I think is. A There's also a character that, it, that it apparently rises from the dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, the resurrection of Alexander Gunnoff. Is that? That's oh, the, Easter. yes. That's, that's an, for no, Easter. That's an even more effective re- resurrection. And as for the other one, the Easter one, you know, they say Christ died for his sins. Well, he dies on Friday and he comes back Sunday morning. So, I suppose dying for your sins sounds better than giving up your weekend for your sins. It does. <laughs> but it does. this isn't I'm Sorry Geeks Without God. No, yeah, that's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> but we've got to plug it. There's also, I mean, there's there's Christmas trees everywhere. There's, oh, yeah. there's characters he, singing Christmas carols. He tapes the gun to his back with Christmas tape. Yes. It says season's he gift wraps. He gift wraps the death of Hans Gruber. <laughs> 
Also, at the end, it's snowing paper. It, there's snow. Yep, there's snow. In, in Los Angeles. In, a, in, in a California. Los mm-hmm. You know, in the first several times I watched the movie, um, I actually thought of that. That I thought that was the bearer bonds. And I was like, why aren't people like grabbing that shit? And then, no, they, they, they bagged up the bearer bonds. It's yeah. just paper. So. Is, aren't the bearer bonds in the ambulance? In the... Well, they're going to be. They don't actually they get them downstairs. Oh, they don't actually put They've them got them all on the cart. Yeah. And they're about to take them downstairs. And then John McClane shows up and kills everybody. That's right. So, <sighs> rescuing the Barabons. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And overall, there was some, the, the screenwriting was witty. And mm-hmm. uh, yet another movie carried by Alan Rickman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Alan he's Rickman. Got, he's got some great lines in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Alan Rickman is the best thing to come out of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like the. I like Bruce Willis just fine. I love Ellen Rickman. Because this was also, I think, Rickman's breakout role role into... Into film. Into film. Yeah, see, uh, Rickman was a stage actor, as we already established, and uh, he had just been in a uh, production of Les Liaisons Dangerouses in... uh, I think it traveled over to the U.S. and was playing in New York City. And John McTiernan and Joel Silver, the the director and the producer of this film, respectively, now went he, to see the play. He wasn't in the film. He was not in the film, film version, which yeah. is why he was available to take the Die Hard role. <laughs> uh, so they, uh, Joel Silver, the producer, and, and John McTiernan, the director, saw the production and. Uh, if you're familiar with the play or yes, the movie, I uh, he was playing Belmont. Oh, yes. Right. So he got to cast eat all there. the scenery in that. And so they they saw the play and they said, well, that's our Gruber. And, uh, well, as they say, the rest is history. Um, so, yeah, he um, literally on the set, they discovered that he could do an American accent really, really well. And they wrote it into the script. Oh, the screenwriter, who, what else did, have they done anything? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry to. Uh, no, it's no, all that's right. a good question. It's a good question. Um, this is actually based on a novel uh, by Roderick Thorpe, who was a uh, novelist and part time private detective, apparently. But uh, the book was called Nothing Lasts Forever. Uh, it was written in, or released in 1979. Clint Eastwood on the rights for a while, and then uh, it was a, obtained to make this movie. Uh, Jeb Stewart. Uh, there, there were two guys who wrote on the screenplay. So Jeb Stewart, uh, also much, a general in the Civil War, it's kind of hard ge- to believe yes. that he managed to. Because I heard he got killed in the Civil War, but apparently not. He's still around. No, he's and, immortal. Oh, okay. wow, no. cool. <laughs> Jeb Stewart, uh, one of the two guys who wrote on wrote the screenplay, uh, has worked on the Die Hard movies. Uh, he also wrote things like Leviathan, which is, eh, and The Fugitive, which is very good. Very good. And Steve uh, Steve E. D'Souza, who is the other guy who wrote the screenplay, uh, he's done things like Commando and 48 Hours, the Tomb Raider movie. He was also a fairly prolific TV writer at one point. We should also mention John McTiernan, the director. John McTiernan. Oh, I got stories about John McTiernan. Okay, so John yeah. McTiernan. <laughs> um, a few years prior to this, I think it was about 1983, did a little independent cheap movie called nomads and it was his debut film and it didn't really it's it's not that great i I watched it but um it did showcase that he could actually direct a movie and on the strength of that movie or at least his skills directing that movie he was invited to um direct a little movie called predator oh (laughs) 
Yeah. Which is another you know, we should do that. We have to do that movie, yeah, we, but because we have a lot fantastic. of movies in the 80s, so we kind of yeah. got to space them out. Yeah, we do. But yeah. so, so he does Predator, which makes a bazillion dollars because um, it's a lot of fun and it has Schwarzenegger in it at, at the height of the Schwarzenegger powers. And uh, coming off of that, he immediately did Die Hard. And this came Die out and hard. made a bazillion dollars. And uh, by that point you know john mctiernan was riding high and he made a movie called hunt for red october which was awesome yeah and made a bazillion dollars i've heard of it yeah Mm. you love that movie i love that movie (laughs) i do and he had a really good streak going and he made like last action hero which tanked but i dearly love last action hero is a much better film than anybody thinks yeah well i think if you're a film fan most film fans are like that's a really underappreciated great film and most people who aren't film fans have never heard of it because it it flopped. Yeah, it flopped. It, yeah. it was not aimed at the right audience. It's anyway. We should talk about that one some other time. Sometime. Yeah. Um, but in about the mid nineties, his quality dropped sharply. You know, he started doing stuff like, uh, well, the Thomas Crown Affair was okay. Meh. Uh, Medicine Woman was. Meh. Wasn't eh. the Thomas Crown Affair a remake of it, the nineteen yeah. fifties? Yeah. And it, you know, it's actually okay. It was marketable. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't the greatest film that year, but it nor nor was it a film that you were like disappointed to have yeah. spent money on but it. But then but then he made like the rollerball remake. Oh the rollerball remake is so bad. And was it basic? Yeah. Uh but anyway, um <clears throat> we're actually very very nearly recording this on his birthday. Happy birthday, John McTiernan. You're not making movies anymore. No, he is not. His last movie was in 2003, and here's why. Um, In late 2000, during the the, uh, making of Rollerball, uh, he got... uh, He basically pled guilty for wiretapping, illegal wiretapping, because he had convinced a private detective to illegally wiretap his producer for Rollerball, a guy named Charles Roven, trying to find out... He he basically just devolved into paranoia, so he was wiretapping people. Apparently, he also wiretapped his estranged wife in the late 90s. And so, there was this big court case. Um, he was... He pled guilty to perjury for lying to the FBI about whether he wiretapped somebody. Um, and eventually, there, there was this... The court case was really complicated because his plea was withdrawn, and then that meant the prosecutors could go for an even harsher case against him for the wiretapping. And eventually, he was incarcerated from 2013 to 2014. So he was in jail for a while, during which he declared bankruptcy because his ranch went into foreclosure. Uh, He was fined $100,000 for the crimes, and there was an expensive divorce, and... There was something about a car accident. This guy was essentially just... So the golden child who falls from grace. So John McTiernan is kind of a train wreck. Yeah. The the judge, um, at least the second time the case went through, uh, said, this guy is not showing any remorse for anything he did. He lives a privileged lifestyle. Fuck him. So (laughs) (laughs) he's going to jail. (laughs) So the judge in this case was the John McClain yeah. on John McTiernan's life. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. is that is irony. I can live with that. Which is, it, it's really sad because he had a streak of these great, great movies and then just 
tanked really, really oh, hard. The other thing I would say, um, I got quite excited. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought they did really well with the types of guns they had because I yes, I remember you. Every time I'm, there was a gun, I was I was amazed. I mean, I, I shouldn't be because I know you're into this kind of thing. But every time a gun appeared on screen, you would name it. Well, <laughs> two reasons. One, I I spent a great number of years doing World War II reenactments and interpretation and role playing modern games. So you tend to get to to know some of the modern hardware in right. consequence. Right. If you, if you pay attention, which I don't. So I was... It's I kind was, of like putting me in front of the Fast and Furious movies. It's like, ooh, that's what that is. <laughs> yes. So yeah. every time a new gun would appear, it's like, ooh. ooh. Ellie would be like, ooh, it's this kind of gun. And it was always like, oh, well, that makes sense for a bunch of terrorists from, the, from Europe to be using. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Yes. It wasn't the AK forty sevens and the Uzis. No, I think they beefed them up a little bit just to make the uh, muzzle flashes more impressive for movies. Probably, but, but yeah, but they, you know, there was that actually a lot accept. of thought put into the. And the you know, they all had a lot more bullets than one might expect to get. I mean, although they, I think this movie does a better than average job when it comes to implying you have to reload. Yeah, they yeah. also were both sides. Yeah careful in where they were either putting their shots or trying to take advantage of, say, John McClane's being barefoot throughout, yeah, right. throughout the movie. Oh, yes, we'll shoot out the glass. Yes, that's a, you know, they, that they was actually, smart. They actually thought about it. Well, some people most think Most it. of the people in this film, I mean, they're the thugs, but most of the people in this film are smart. You yeah, know, John McClane, John so McClane makes a, a reasonable decision. He's like, I will. He, his first thought isn't, I'm going to play the hero. His first thought is, I'm going to contact the authorities. Yeah. Because there's just one of me, and there's a dozen guys with automatic weapons, and I have my service pistol. And so, yeah. I, you, you know, know, the other one, this way, this movie would have would have worked was if you'd have done it from Gruber's point of view as a heist movie, yeah, and just had this random guy throwing the spanner in the works. And if you'd have told it as a sort of Ocean's Eleven goes wrong movie, yeah. it would also have worked. And it would have worked possibly, from my point of view, a little better because it would be a little more cerebral. As long yeah. as Gruber's eventual goal is not to murder 30 people by blowing the roof. Right. Because then he's not a particularly uh, sympathetic S thief. But he's an effective he, thief. He is a, he's an exceptional thief. He's an thief. exceptional thief. <laughs> Since he's elevated himself to kidnapping, we should be more polite. A lot of the the uh, sting lines in this movie were actually improvised by the actors. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the fun stuff. I think Yippie-Kaye, motherfucker, was improvised. Uh, yeah, the, the actors got a lot of leeway. Yeah, especially Bruce Willis, who's actually very good in real life at wisecracking. Well, if he came from a comedy background, yeah, he came from expect. a he, yeah. he he came from a comedy background. He was a former bartender. Uh, <laughs> he's from Jersey, you know. There, he was very appropriate 
for the role. Welcome to the potty, pal. <laughs> um, we are getting close to the time yeah. of uh, needing to do final thoughts. But what do you I, think, lady? I'm trying to order a pizza. <laughs> I love that line so much. <laughs> no shit. Think I'm trying to order a pizza? It's oh my great. God. I have so much. That. I have so much trivia about this. Oh God, oh we, we got to oh get God. to it, okay. Melissa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you got to pick and choose. There's oh, okay. like five pages of trivia. All right, all right. Um, let's see. Let's see where to where to start. I don't um, know. I don't know. I don't I'm just know. looking at all know. of it. My God, the pressure's it's, on. Um, okay, so first of all, the 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 final shot of Hans Gruber fall. The famous shot of him falling yes. away. Um, that wasn't a stuntman. That was uh, uh, Alan Rickman actually being dropped twenty feet into a uh, you know a, a an airbag. Cushion, I assume cushion platform of some sort, and he refused to do it until uh, John McTiernan himself, the director, took the fall himself. Nice. And so... Um, well, to see it was safe. To see it was, if it was safe. And then um, when they finally dropped Rickman, the stuntman dropped him on the count of two instead of three. <laughs> so the oh. shocked look on his face is like <laughs> very genuine. <laughs> which, which is good because yeah. it's a great look. It's a great look. When it comes to villain death shots, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the uh, the fall because the 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 fall that they have from the top of the the tower and they, uh-huh. sh- you know, which is a stunt, obviously, wasn't that at the time the highest uh, fall that a stuntman had Ooh, made? I think so. Because it's it's a long drop. Yeah, I didn't find anything specifically about that drop, but I seem to remember something about that yeah. in the past. It is a very long drop. Um, also, Nakatomi Tower is the is an actual building. It is the uh, 20th Century Fox headquarters. It was unfinished at the time, so uh, now the Disney headquarters in <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes now 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 Disney doesn't have a shit ton of screen doors. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was unfinished at the time, and so 20th Century Fox was charging themselves rent for making this movie. And uh, some of the explosions were done full scale and actually in that building because they Sweet. were they were just using the unused floors. It's like ah shit, we'll just we'll just blow the we'll blow the windows out of floor five. Why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, also, one of the um, okay the the cinematographer on this film is Jan de Bont. Jan de Bont. Jan de Bont. Jan de Bont. Anyway, uh, he was. We've never done this before. <laughs> And yet we know each other. Your yes. thoughts to my thoughts. <laughs> yes. uh, anyway, Jan de Bont, who um, kind of engineered that late 80s, early 90s, super slick uh, look to movies because he was the cinematographer all, for a lot of the big movie action movies of this day. Um, he actually got, he got trapped in uh, a lift in the building. And while in there, he got the idea for making this little movie called Speed, which is essentially Die Hard on a Bus. It is basically mm-hmm. Die Hard on a Bus. Yeah, and that was one of his earliest uh, directing jobs. So that was Yandabond. 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 Anyway. <laughs> and he actually, the cinematography, I thought, was yeah, it's very lovely. good. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, Yandabond knows how to shoot a movie. He has a good It's eye. really good. He, he does a lot of nice... I, I think uh, one of the things that really works is... I mean, Bruce Willis is really expressive in this movie. There's a yeah. lot of nice, tight shots on his face, on his reaction to things. You know, again, I, I think they make John McClane really smart in this movie. He doesn't make a lot of really 
really stupid decisions unless he's basically at a point where he has no choice but to make a stupid decision because it's the only one open to him. And he's going, oh, John, you fool. Yeah, and he <laughs> always knows, yeah, he like, always oh, knows it. it's a stupid decision. Yes. He always this knows. This is dumb. Yeah. yeah, and his inability to find shoes throughout the entire <laughs> movie, despite the number of people he kills. And yeah. they, they all have, they, they, he never has a chance to get their shoes or he tosses them out a window before he takes the shoes off. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a problem. But he's always yeah. thinking about it. He knows it's a problem. Yeah. And, and you know, he suffers greatly for it. He does. Because that, that shit's got to hurt. <laughs> that is one of those scenes where you're like, how did ow, he get away ow, from that? Ow, and, he and, didn't. And, <laughs> and when they, 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 they just do that scene in the bathroom where he's pulling those shards of glass out of his foot. And yeah. you're just yes. like, ow. Oh. And, yes. and that's another thing that I think is really good about this movie that you don't see. You didn't see in a lot of the movies that came up to this yeah. point is by the end of this movie, John McClane is in pretty bad shape. Yeah. Yeah, he gets just hammered. He does. He does not walk out with you know a little a little wound over one eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's been shot. He's got his foot just completely sawed up. Yeah, he's that, that white uh, wife beater shirt he had on. Not white anymore. No, <laughs> the one complaint. Um, and again, it goes back yeah. to possibly a different age. I'm looking forward to movies like The Post because I think we need to get back to an age where the press is heroes, not the villains. Oh, yeah. And and we're we're getting there. I, I mean, we previously had Spotlight, which was an ode, yeah. a, a love letter to the press. And The Post, by the way, is wonderful. It's it is. Yeah, both movie. Melissa and I have seen it. It's yeah. exceptional. Yeah. But I, I think um, you're right. I think the yeah, way they, they right. portray the press in the here is... I mean, it's done for laughs, but it also is done from a genuine, genuine idea that the press is to be mistrusted, that the press is always going to exploit a situation, that they're never going to have any kind of compassion moral for people. Center. Or, yeah, there's no moral center in that character. He's just a jerk. Um, and I do have to say, uh, Die Hard 2, which, by the way, uh, is not good. Uh, <laughs> no, it, and it, it is. It is almost just Die Hard 1 over again, but not really. Um, And in Die Hard 2, the only thing I'll give it credit for is one of the big pieces of Die Hard 2 is that reporter shows up again, and he's on the same plane as Holly McClain. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. Who knew this was going to happen? And part of the conflict here is the fact that he has taken out a restraining order against him, against against her, because she punched him. (laughs) Which I'm like, well, yeah, he deserved it, but that would happen. Yes, Yes. it's true. Um, So it's uh, so anyway. But you're right. I I think that that is. uh, I have. I'm going to say for my final thoughts, Mm -hmm. another critique that I have of the film. Although I enjoy it immensely, and even the thing that I'm going to critique, I enjoy immensely. But I still think it's badly done. Sure. But I agree about the. I agree about the press. The depiction of the press in this film. It is. It's. It's really kind of. It's done for laughs, and it's it's done. It's da- it's a damaging stereotype. Of I wonder if it was done for laughs. I, well, wa- I, I, I think, but that's maybe the age we live in. Well, that that's probably it, and also I think in the late eighties we were also getting into the. Um, when the press really was kind of predatory, especially TV press, because it could we were getting be. into the age of, of uh, we we're, we we're just starting in the age of the twenty four hour news network. It's it's very interesting to watch through film because there there are films where the press is portrayed as 
damaging and harassing and mm-hmm. evil and films where the press is dis- is portrayed as essential and important and it's it's this fascinating relationship mm. and it, i mean it's i think the relationship most people have with the mm. press it's a relationship that our current president is exploiting mm-hmm. um anyway uh back to yeah. your your trivia melissa oh um so the late great michael Kamen did the score for this movie and um, we've, we've been talking a lot about the Ode to Joy being uh, included in this movie. And Michael Kamen had to really didn't want to use Ode to Joy in the film, especially not for the safe cracking part. And he was going, he was telling McTiernan, look, I will, I will make mincemeat out of Wagner or Strauss for you, but, but why Beethoven? I don't want to do that. And then McTiernan had to convince him by saying, look, Kubrick used Beethoven in Clockwork Orange. You can do this. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's anything that this movie is in co- has in common with any other film, it's Clockwork Orange. So... <laughs> Uh, we should do that. We, no, we have to do that one too. We need to do that. <laughs> Take a drink, Unfortunately, everybody. that is one I have seen, but I saw it from, with a friend who got me the Swedish version. So uh, because well, Kubrick, because Kubrick wouldn't allow it to be released in the UK, yeah, uh, yeah. because of the negative press reaction he got back in what was it seventy two seventy three. But well, um, it, it so, was also banned for a long time. And but it was it wasn't the it wasn't the yeah. board of film classification it was kubrick saying mm-hmm. they don't appreciate me so they can't see it right. well kubrick would never behave that kind of way that seems totally out of character for lies. him lies um, <laughs> 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 you're a lying liar that lies tim <laughs> all right we got to like, we, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we two more trivia things then no, we got then we got to move on oh oh uh, bonnie bedelia yeah, we haven't I, talked who about I her. I love. I think she's a wonderful actress. Um, ladies and gentlemen, look up a little film called Heart Like a Wheel. She is wonderful. Um, she uh, was a child actress. You know, she started acting at age nine and started acting on stage in the 50s and eventually uh, got into films in the 60s, has a, had a long, long career. Uh, but uh, she has a brother named Kit, uh, his real name's Christopher, but goes by the name Kit. Um, I will just say her full name is Bonnie Bedelia Culkin. Therefore, Kit Culkin sired uh, people like Macaulay Culkin and Kieran Culkin. And I don't know Dakota Culkin. What? Are, how many Culkins? I don't are there? know. I haven't kept. Yeah, that 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 entire family. Uh, she is the aunt to all. Speaking the of Culkins. Christmas movies, all the little Home Culkins. Alone, Home Alone, oh, yes. yeah, all the little Culkins. So yeah, that's that's Bonnie Bedelia. Uh, wonderful awesome. actress. Okay, one more piece of trivia. Then we got to do final thoughts. We're we're, we're closing. Uh, let's out. see. Let's see. Let's see. <clears throat> um. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe we've reached yeah. the end of the best yeah, ones. Yeah, no, I think uh, no. My best one, I'm going to say for. Oh, final you're saving thoughts. the best one for last. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, Elliot, we are going to do final thoughts. So, I need your final thought, whatever it is, whatever I it really, is. I really enjoyed it. I Yay. came in here with fairly low expectations, um, partly because they had Rambo on the idiot box today and I couldn't change the channel fast (laughs) enough and so I really enjoyed it but I would put it down as another film Alan Rickman is brilliant in and um, 
Bruce Willis, I think he deserved uh, the accolades he got for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did. No, yeah. it was well put together and I enjoyed it. Yay. And I could accept it as a Christmas movie. All for right. The so, yeah, you've, you've sort of you've, you've, you've convinced me. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. I would say when it comes to action movie stars, I, I actually I, I like Bruce Willis a little more than like Schwarzenegger. I always feel Schwarzenegger's a little bit stiff. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not a particularly gifted actor. He's just I mean, he's not he's a awful. Presence. He's a he's presence. not awful. And, I mean, there is there is something about Schwarzenegger that is undeniably magnetic. He's very charismatic. But mm-hmm. but I like Bruce Willis a little bit better. Yeah, um, Bruce Willis has that blue collar appeal to him. And certainly certainly Rickman steals every every oh, God, scene that yeah, he's, he's in. Amazing. He he just kills it. But uh, so my my final thought is about uh, Deputy Police uh, Director Dwayne. Um, <laughs> A character that is there essentially just to act as an obstruction. Uh, and I don't like that character. And I like no. the character. I enjoy watching the film. And I uh, there are times where I laugh and how dumb he is. But I don't believe that he is. I don't believe that guy exists. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't believe that guy shows up in a situation like that and would be permitted to take control of in the idiot way that he does. We need more FBI guys. We yeah, I guess we're going to no, need more you FBI probably, guys. By you know, a, de- a department like the LAPD, you're going to have hostage negotiators. Yes. Yeah. And they are going to be people who are trained to deal with this situation. Mm-hmm. Now, I could quite see a hos- uh, a um, hostage negotiator getting a little upset with Al, but they would have done it in a much more professional way and how did this man uh, uh, rise to be <laughs> what was it deputy police commissioner yeah you know? Dwayne Robinson is it uh, Robinson anyway yeah, yeah it, played it, by just, Paul Gleason professional asshole it, and it, I mean that's the only I, reason are, you hire that actor there are is for scenes, him to be an asshole there are scenes I really enjoy mm-hmm. in that in that movie with him you know when he's like whoa I guess we're going to need some more FBI guys. I just love that. I, I love that scene because because it's funny and it makes you laugh. But yeah. the character is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I believe uh, Roger Ebert hated this movie when it yeah. first came out. And that was also his main complaint about it was that guy. And Roger Ebert I was very he, notable for coming around on a lot of things. Yeah. And this is one of the movies he came around on. He... he it, Several years later, after I think seeing at least one of the sequels, he came around on this. He's like, well, at least this is better than that. I don't know. Yeah, he was one of those people that he's like, I hated this movie and almost everybody else liked it. Maybe I need to go back and watch it again and figure out what it is that they saw that I didn't. And then he came back and went, oh, all right. I was focusing on this Dwayne guy, which was mm-hmm. dumb, and everybody's kind of like, "Yeah, it's kind of dumb," but the rest of the movie is actually pretty good. <laughs> right. So anyway, that that's my note. Dwayne is dumb. I don't think uh, he ever. I think he died hating Fight Club, though. So I think <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the hill he died. He died, on. He died on Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, that's, he died on the Fight Club hill. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Cool. Melissa, We're, your final my thought. My final thought. Well. Alexander Goodenough, when uh, he was finally made a U.S. citizen, he declared that he would celebrate by eating a hamburger stuffed with caviar. Did he? I don't know, but I hope he did. Maybe that's why he died. Well, that was like 1987. It would have been like seven years. Well, it's a slow slow burn. 
<laughs> I'm just thinking of the the the, the flavor profiles. It sounds too. disgusting. It I is. don't know. You know, I I think I think you can make that work. Although oh, caviar yeah. is best cold, so yeah. I'm looking yeah. at Elliot's Elliot's face. Elliot, no, no, Elliot's I, really contemplating this because I love caviar, but caviar is 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 to be eaten in small quantities on on biscuits, not stuffed into a hamburger. Yeah. And I, I think the the fish, the, so, you fish and fowl, but not fish and beef. Yeah, and and. Also, stuffing it inside the burger mean implies you'd be cooking the caviar with the burger. Yeah, no, I don't like that yeah. concept. So maybe a burger topped with caviar. Yeah. So steak the caviar would still say cold, or maybe you know switch it up a bit. Like the instead of buns, you know you can have like a salty biscuit of some yeah. sort, and then like instead of the burger, you have steak tartare, and then you put the caviar on top of that. That might work. That might work. Yes. Because usually with steak tartare, you have capers with it, and that's got a little bit of the salt. Yeah. Um, and, so, and okay. capers, capers is one of those great ones to to do with fish anyway. As, yeah, as, yeah, so yeah. the th- the problem is, since he died tragically, we will never know <laughs> what he did and how lost to posterity. It's such a shame. All right. So, so, I, dear listeners, I don't think a, a caviar or juicy Lucy will happen anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> or maybe it will, depending if even, I have enough beer after even, this recording. That's even worse. You're gonna stuff a hamburger with caviar and. Jeez. <laughs> because we all know it's better with cheese. We all know fish and cheese is a classic combination. <laughs> um, that should be as funny no. as it is. It's oh God it sounds terrible. All right, Elliot. We want, we want to thank you so much for watching Die Hard with us. No, thank you for having me. Thank it's you. been thank great. Uh, we hope that you uh, watched and enjoyed the podcast. Uh, next time, we are going to be back, and we are going to stick in the 80s. We're stuck in the 80s for a little while. Yeah. We're moving off of our, our, our crime wave and into just back into sort of general whatever well, there, movies. There's kind of crime there, in, in this one, but yeah. Yeah, all right. That's a stretch. But anyway. Yeah, you get there's crime in a lot of movies. If, if that was our only theme, okay. So we're gonna watch Goonies. <laughs> we're, we found some crazy '80s fool who has not seen Goonies, and they're right. gonna watch it with us. So uh, join us for that one. Thank you for for listening. Thanks again, Elliot. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a real education. Deep, deep,